Why did the toad evade his taxes? He was kermitting frog. Ah, uh, yeah, bad one. Yep, tax season's upon us, so dust off your calculators and start hopping online. A lot of people get really nervous around tax season. Did you know that Americans spend around 1.7 billion hours on their taxes each and every year? <laughs> That's right. According to ProPublica, we spend around 1.7 billion hours. Wow. I had to tell you that twice just in case you felt dizzy the first time that you heard that number. I know I sure did. So get ready to sink some time into your taxes. Unless you're really, really lucky and you're listening from Estonia. That is, the Atlantic says it takes the average Estonian five minutes to complete their taxes. Could you imagine that? And if you're listening here in the United States of America, it's a totally different story, thanks to lobbyists. Well, more on that later. Basically, those of us here in the United States, we spend a ton of time and money during tax season. And don't get me started on all the stress. I mean, strain on your eyeballs, double-checking every number that you enter or that you write down. And you have to pray that you don't make a mistake. Otherwise, the IRS can come for you, and nobody wants that to happen. Hey, thanks for joining us here on Tech You Should Know, where we guide you through the thorny jungle that's this digital world that we live in. And today, we're going to be tackling something that we all have to deal with. That's right, taxes. It's a complex issue shaped by wealthy lobbyists and confusing guidelines. There are just a slew of websites where you can file your taxes through TurboTax, H&R, or the many different sites on the official IRS website. But how do you navigate through this sticky web? How do you watch out for scams. How do you know that you're really deducting every single thing that you can on your taxes, especially this year because of the whole pandemic? We're going to talk about all of that and more in today's episode. Now, before we dive in, I need to give you a warning. You have to watch out for con artists. The scammers are out in full force. Well, not that they ever take a break. But what this means is that you really should file your taxes sooner than later, as soon as possible. Otherwise, your identity could be in jeopardy. Cyber criminals love to target your tax returns. Now, according to the IRS, this hurts thousands of Americans each and every year. And here's what happens. You try to file your taxes electronically. Then you learn that they are already done. Even worse, you may get a notice from the IRS saying that you filed your taxes twice. Nobody wants that. Of course, there's another classic scam to watch out for. If the IRS ever calls you, it's not the IRS. They're never going to ask for your personal information through email, text messages, or social media. You know, thousands of people have lost their fortunes due to these horrible tricks. I'm talking about millions of dollars. So if somebody calls you up and says they're going to arrest you if you don't pay them right now and they're from the IRS, just hang up and report them. Now, if you don't want some scammers filing fraudulent returns in your name, first, you want to file early. This means that scammers have a smaller time frame to pounce on you. If they can't steal your tax return, if you've already filed it, it makes sense. Number two, protect your social security number. Never ever give it out unless it has a really, really good reason. And research the organization preparing your taxes. If you're using TurboTax, for example, it might behoove you to research them. You're going to learn more about its producer into it. They pour millions of dollars into lobbying each year. The goal? To keep the tax process complicated. Hmm. Yes, that's what everybody says. Intuit makes its money by helping you file through TurboTax. And if you could file easily on your own, you wouldn't need their help. And then they would lose your sweet, sweet business. So bottom line, do the research. You might find some shocking stuff out there. That's because taxes are a very, very complicated subject. There are so many moving parts to keep track of. And this year, I want to help you out. I'm putting together an essential guide to take you through tax season. I mean, filing your taxes doesn't have to feel like pulling teeth. So in this podcast... 
you're going to learn the tricks to make it at least 10 times easier. We're going to answer some of the biggest questions. We're going to bust through the most common myths. Plus, I'm going to walk you through the different tax sites that you can use and help you figure out which one is the best fit for you. And we're going to talk about the tax rules that have changed because of COVID, especially if you're working from home. Are there any type of special deductions? What about relief money? Can you claim that as income? We're going to answer all of that in today's podcast. So if you want to prepare yourself for this stressful season, ah, have a moment of zen because this is essential listening. Time is money. So you don't want to miss a moment of this. Hey, welcome back to Tech You Should Know. I'm Kim Commando, sharing the sad news that, yes, even I, America's beloved digital goddess, has to sit down and file her taxes. I don't know a single person who takes total joy out of filing their own taxes. Well, maybe our next guest does. I mean, she's going to give us a brand new perspective on it. And I'm happy to welcome Rachel Cheek to this podcast. She's a certified public accountant, and Rachel helps people like you and me. Yes, Rachel helps me do my own taxes, deal with this sticky world. Rachel spent a lot of time in the securities industry, but then her father said, hey, you know, why don't you start doing taxes? And she said, okay, maybe I should start doing taxes. But taxes are a nightmare. And that's why I'm happy to have Rachel here to walk us through it all. So whenever we talk about doing our taxes, I know it's not a happy topic. I read that the tax code is over 74,000 pages long, and it would take you more than 1,200 hours to get through it all. Um, But it wasn't always so detailed. Back in 1913, the tax code was just 400 pages. So certainly that there has to be somebody that has read the whole thing. And so joining us on this podcast is Rachel Sheik. And Rachel, you are a tax professional. Did you have you always wanted to be a tax person? I'm always wondering, like, how does somebody just say, I want to do people's taxes? I get asked that a lot. Um, It's not um, originally what I thought I would be doing. Um, I originally uh, started in the financial industry, and then later when I decided to make a career change and wanting something a little more stable, um, my father was a CPA, and he always knew that I would be good at it, so he suggested I come in and help him out with some tax preparation, and 15 years later, I'm still continuing to do taxes. So um, it's always changing. It's always something new. It always keeps you on your toes, so it's makes it very interesting day to day. When do you actually need a CPA to do your taxes? I would say that once you have probably more than just a W-2 and um, maybe just interest income, after you have, you know, when you're itemizing your deductions, if you have a small business, if you have an LLC, if you have investments, Typically, that's the time when it makes more sense to have a qualified professional prepare your taxes. Um, This helps that way you don't make any errors or make mistakes, which can create more time on your end. And so when people are trying to do their own taxes, what kind of mistakes do they make along the way? I mean, because we all see the ads for Tax Slayer, Tax Act, and then you've got the, the websites that are doing it. Then you can get the free forms on the website. I, I mean... It gets really confusing, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and a lot of these websites do say, you know, you do your taxes for free, and there's there's a lot of websites available out there, and some of them are free, but you have to be careful because once you have more than just a 1040EZ form, it may not be free. Um, if you have any, you know, a small business or if you have investments, then they do charge a little bit more for those forms, and a lot of times you'll find that they do charge for state filings as well. Um, I don't know if I would say one is better than the other. They would work, again, if you just have a W-2 and maybe some interest income. But once you have more forms, then it may end up costing you, you know, probably less than a professional, but it will end up costing. It may not be free. Um, if you do go through the IRS website, they can give you a link that will take you to one of their third-party vendors, which will then prepare the taxes. But again, you have to be careful because it may not be free depending on your situation. You know, nobody wants to talk about taxes, right? In the middle of this pandemic, and so many people have been working from home, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying, okay, so I've dedicated one room of my house to just getting my job done. Are there any special considerations when we're doing our taxes this year versus last year because we all are working from home because of COVID and the pandemic? Right now, with the way the tax rules read, there is no deduction for an employee working at home. Even if they have a set room that they work in, if they had to go buy a printer, if they have to pay for their internet, if you are a W-2 employee, you do not get to deduct those expenses. As an employer, you can reimburse your employees for those expenses and the employer can deduct them. But the way that the tax rules are right now, and that change when it was in, went to effect in 2018, an employee is not allowed to deduct those expenses. Wow. I, I would suggest that if you're an employee and, and your employer is requiring you to work at home, maybe you go back to your employer and request that they reimburse you for some of these expenses. So if their employees are using their cell phone, their internet, then maybe the employer can set up an accountable plan and reimburse their employees for these expenses. Then the employer gets to deduct it and the employee doesn't, isn't out of pocket those expenses that they normally wouldn't incur working at home if they were at the office. Wow. It just seems like that, that should be a deduction of some sort. I mean, for the individual. Yeah, and and they may change rules moving forward since more and more people have to work at home or are required to be working at home. But once the new tax act went into place in 2018, those rules changed. Before that, it used to be you could deduct unreimbursed business expenses as an employee. But starting in 2018, that was no longer allowed. Not knowing what was going to happen with this pandemic, but, you know, it makes sense now that it would be something that they should have put in place to deduct these expenses. But that's why as an employee, I would suggest going back to your employer and seeing if there's an accountable plan or seeing if the employer can reimburse. Now, what if you had your own side hustle? What if you had your own side business and you used part of your house to make money that way? Yeah, if you have your own business, if you're self-employed, or if you have a um, business on your own that you report on Schedule C, you can deduct a home office expense. It's going to be specifically related to the office itself. So let's say that your office space is 10% of your home, then you can take 10% of those business expenses and deduct it through Form 8829 on your tax return. So as long as you're self-employed, let's say you're receiving a 1099 in your economy, 
contractor, this deduction is available to you, just not as a W-2 employee. And then what's covered under that deduction? What kind of, is it, is it, is it anything that you're, that you need to, to make money? Is it anything that you needed to purchase or any recurring subscriptions along the way? Yeah. So it would include not only expenses that let's say are internet, phone, which are pretty, you know, easy to kind of figure out what you're using for business, but it would also be, let's say you have a home and your office is 10% of your home. If you're paying a mortgage on that home and you're paying property taxes and you have internet, um, all those expenses would be included, even your utilities, those would be included as expenses that you can deduct. But again, it wouldn't be the entire mortgage, all of your property taxes. In that instance, it would be 10% of those expenses. Um, if you're using your phone more, let's say you don't just use your phone 10% for business, then you can deduct more of that on the actual form itself. But on the 8829 form, which is your home office deduction, you get that percentage. So utilities, mortgage, property taxes. Um, if you have to go buy a printer and a printer specifically for your home office, then you can deduct that as well. What kind of mistakes have you seen people make that have cost them money along the way when they start deducting home office expenses? Are they missing? Are there things that uh, that are commonly missed when people start doing this? Not necessarily in a home office. Um, I think when people are preparing their own tax returns, they might not know what they could to deduct and what they, or maybe they're deducting too much or too little, just not knowing exactly what expenses are deductible. Um, the home office itself, um, there is a form 8829 that goes through all of the expenses that you're allowed to deduct and it's related to Schedule C. There's other ways that you can deduct it even if you have, let's say, an LLC that's taxed as an S corporation or a partnership, but those would be basically on the business returns that you would want to take those deductions and you would be able to write the, a portion of that off as well. So in all your years doing taxes and studying the tax code and working with all kinds of people on all kinds of businesses and income levels, what's the craziest thing you ever saw that somebody wanted to deduct and you were like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Usually it's pets, um, dogs that they consider children, dependents, um, that comes up a lot. You know, pets kind of make sense because everybody looks at their dog or cat or ferret or whatever it may be as an extended family member, especially now during the pandemic. I mean, we have Abby and she's two years old. She's a golden retriever. And I have to tell you, at three o'clock in the morning, her butt was in my face. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I didn't even let my son do this. Okay. You need to, you need to get off the bed now. And all 83 pounds of her, I pushed off the bed. And, uh, and of course at, you know, 7am she came up and licking my face again. So yeah, so we can feel like they are family members. Um, they, they do feel like family and you feel like the expense that you should get a, you know, child tax credit for that dog that has become your child, especially if you're at home spending all your time with your pets. All night, night and day. But unfortunately, there isn't a tax deduction for your animals or your pets. <sighs> well, that makes me sad, Rachel. Hey, listen. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer. 
I wish you had a better answer too, Rachel. So stay right where you are, because when we come back, we're going to talk about the COVID relief money and the PPPs and the CARES Act. And maybe there are some ways that we can get creative on our taxes this year that maybe we couldn't do last year. And what are the ramifications of the income that we maybe we did receive? So stay right where you are. We have to say a special thank you to our partners in this podcast because they make it possible. Hey, welcome back. We're talking to Rachel Cheek about, yes, our favorite topic of topics, taxes. Yes. I'm not going to give you the old saying, the only thing that we have are death and taxes. But here's the deal. (laughs) Americans have to work, what I read was 114 days into the year to afford their tax bills. That's a depressing statistic, Rachel. Is that still true? Well, it is when you add up all the taxes that each person pays so not only there's a few taxes that you don't realize it's the social security medicare taxes on top of the federal and state withholding so sometimes when you look at the numbers in total it can feel like it's a lot but if you actually look at the la- since 2018 as far as the tax rates that are out there you essentially could have some a family of, let's say, four um, with uh, parents and two kids making $100,000. Even if you take a standard deduction, effectively, they're only going to be paying about 5 to 6% in taxes. So it can still feel like a big portion of your income going towards taxes. But effectively, when you look at the numbers, in certain circumstances, it's it's not as high as it may feel um, because of tax child tax credits available and because of the standard deduction being a little bit higher than it used to be. So you don't necessarily have to own a home to get as much of a deduction anymore, just taking a standard deduction. So let's talk about COVID and the $600 relief money. Is that accountable on our taxes? Do we have to, what do we have to do with that? So when you're filing your 2020 return, that's when we're reconciling those economic impact payments that taxpayers received. So a lot of taxpayers received the first payment over the summer, and they received you know $1,200 for each parent, uh, individual, or and also an additional $600 for dependents. So you know, a married couple may have received $2,400. Uh, if you had a married couple with one child, you would receive $3,000. You need to report that on your 2020 tax return just to show that you received it because let's say for some reason you didn't get it, you would get that credit on your return. So if you were due $3,000 and you didn't receive it, you would get a credit on that on your tax return for 2020 for those monies. And again, the $600 that they did send out at the beginning of January, end of December, that also would be reconciled on your 2020 tax return. So you want to make sure you file and report what you did receive in case you were due any more money from those payments. Are there any other considerations about these payments that we need to be aware of? They are not taxable. Um, so if you did receive the money, you don't have to pay tax um, when when you re, uh, report that. It, it needs to be reported, but it's not taxable. So, And let's say that you received money. What's coming a lot of up right now with a lot of my clients is that if they a lot of parents who are divorced, Maybe they're claiming a child in one year, and then the next year they're not claiming them. 
Sometimes people are receiving money when maybe their spouse should have received it. As long as you report on your 20 return what you should have received, um, then you will get squared up even if your ex received the money instead. So again, if, if some a spouse received $600 for a dependent, but you're claiming them in 20, you'll get that $600 as well. So you won't lose out on that money if for some reason you split back and forth, even odd years of claiming dependent. You know, that's a really good point to bring up. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, let's talk about if you... Let's talk about if you lost your job during the pandemic and you spent a lot of time, money, effort, energy trying to find a job. Are there any considerations for your taxes there? Unfortunately, there's no deduction for um, any money spent trying to find a job. Um, It used to be, again, with old tax rules, those would be considered unreimbursed business expenses um, and we'd be included in your itemized deduction, but those are no longer allowed. So any job search expenses, they're unfortunately not a deduction. And what if you have to use your car? What is the mileage cost now that you can deduct? If you use your vehicle for business, again, if you're a W-2 employee, and I don't mean to pick on just W-2 employees, but unfortunately, there's no deduction that you get for that mileage reimbursement. If um, you are self-employed, you can deduct those expenses and mileage, um, basically, that you drove. And it does not include commuting. It only includes, you know, basically going back and forth. If you go from one job to another job, those miles between would count as deduction, not commuting. So if you have one office that you go to every day, that does not count. But any other mileage that you use would be a deduction if you, again, are self-employed. For 2020, the rate is 57 and a half cents per mile. So if you drive, you know, you want to track your miles, there's a lot of apps that they have out there that will basically, when you when you open up the app, you can say, okay, start the mileage now. And when you're finished driving, it will end. And then you could track your miles that way to show what's business. Because the personal miles would be a deduction, just the business. So the 57 and a half cents, it's adjusted every year by the IRS. And that does include wear and tear on your vehicle, um, gas rates, the price of gas, um, insurance. All those numbers are included in how they come up with the 57 and a half cents per year or what the number is with the IRS. So, you know, you mentioned the apps to track your mileage. Um, what about other apps to track expenses and, and what exactly do we need to provide the IRS as far as proof that we spent this doing this in order to take it off of our taxes? Um, you basically want to have records to show what is business. Um, if you have your own business, it's better to have a separate bank account set up so that way it's not commingling your business expenses with personal expenses. If you're going to use apps, a lot of the apps allow you to download the information after the fact, and then at the end of the year, you can download the details of that and provide that to your tax preparer. So we can then look and see, okay, you drove 10,000 miles for the year, and 6,000 of that was business related. We just want to be able to substantiate those expenses in case the IRS ever comes and audits your return and has questions on it. If you have a separate business account that also you're, if you're spending money for supplies or expenses, if those are all put in a separate business account, it's easier to distinguish between business and personal. 
And so we have so many people, Rachel, that are in the gig economy, Uber drivers, Instacart, maybe they're selling something on Etsy or eBay as a small business. Um, Is there a certain threshold about if you are even you have a W-2 coming in, but you also have a side hustle? Is there a certain percentage of time that you have to say, well, I I did this because I spent this much time in my home office using Etsy versus my my employer? Yes, you should track it and show what you're using that home office for. Because, again, if it's used for if you're employed and your employer is having you work at home, then the time spent in that home office would not be a deduction related to that income. If you have other income that you're using, let's say Etsy for, and you're on your computer and and you're using your home office for that, then the time spent for that position and that income would be a deduction. So it's really based on the time. So if you're using your home for your office and let's say you're using it, you know, 50% of the time, then that's what your deduction would be for that job. And it would be offsetting your income for that, let's say Etsy, if you're getting a 1099 for that, then those expenses and deductions would be related to that income, not your W-2 income. So you want to separate out to each different portions of income that you're receiving. You know, more than one-fifth of paper tax returns contain errors. And I can see why, because it gets so confusing. Um, Stay right where you are, because when we come back, we're going to be talking more about the CARES Act and the PPP and the SBA loans. And so you definitely don't want to miss that. We have just a few words from our partners in this podcast, because they help make this podcast possible. So it's no great secret that the coronavirus pandemic has wreaked havoc on our economy, leaving hundreds of thousands of Americans without the income that they had before March 2020 when we all went into lockdown. We're speaking with Rachel Cheek, who's an expert tax accountant, about some of the tax issues that are involved. Rachel, I've heard that some employers have paid their employees when they're out sick or when they had to take care of a family member who maybe had COVID. Now, are these employees eligible for some additional tax benefits? Yes, this is available. So if an individual is um, sick or with COVID or they have to take care of a family member or their children are not able to go to school and they are out of work, the employer can pay them up to 80 hours, uh, you know, for up to two, pay them up to two weeks or up to 80 hours at their regular pay rate and claim this credit on the, on the, um, on their 941 or self. Now with the new cares act, the, um, credit is available for self-employed individuals. What are some of the pitfalls of this program and what should employers watch out for? With the sick and family leave tax credit, um, eligible individuals are someone who has to stay home because they are sick with COVID or has to take care of family members who are sick or a dependent if they're not able to, you know, be in school or be, you know, at daycare. So those individuals who aren't able to work, their employer is allowed to take a credit up to 80 hours um, for up to two weeks or 80 hours at their regular rate of pay. And that's up to $511 per day or $5,110 in total. The tax credits are available for the employers to take on their, they would either go back to their 941 reports or 
the IRS did come back with the new CARES Act saying that this credit is available to self-employed individuals. So the self-employed individual who reports their income on Schedule C can also claim this credit on Form 7202 with their 2020 tax returns. And the credit is now available through March 31st of 2021. So even if an individual gets COVID in Jan- you know, starting in 2021, it would be going actually now through first quarter of 21 not just for last year. We're actually in conversation with Rachel Cheek. She is the tax queen. I could be the digital goddess. Rachel, <laughs> that is your new title, tax queen, after going through this podcast. I can't oh. wait to show up at the office and tell everybody. <laughs> I have to send you a crown so you can walk in. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move to another topic, the PPP. How is that handled with your taxes this year? Well, the PPP, there's many different aspects of that. Um, If, you know, if employers, if your companies receive PPP funds, um, typically a lot of people I was, clients I was working with received funds back last May, um, end of April, beginning of May. There was a lot of changes when that for the people, clients were first receiving all these funds and, and it changed almost daily. They, the SBA has come out and has, and with the new CARES Act, they did clarify a lot of the misinformation out there. The first round of the PPP, you were required to either use the funds over an eight-week period or a 24-week period. As long as you use those funds towards either payroll or the eligible expenses, then the loans would be forgiven. Um, you had either eight weeks or 24 weeks to use the money. And once you finish that period, whichever one you choose, then you have 10 months from the time that you finish using the funds to then ask SBA and apply for forgiveness. So as employers, if let's say you received 50,000 of PPP funds and you use it all for your payroll to pay your employees during that time, you would then apply with your bank and the SBA to request forgiveness. And they're requesting lots of reports and lots of different information, but the 50,000 that was received, as long as it went towards the appropriate expenses, the monies would be forgiven. Um, One of the other items that came out with the CARES Act at the beginning of January was that the expenses related to these funds would be, employers would be able to use it as a tax deduction. So essentially it did not become taxable either. A lot of employers were concerned that if you received 50,000 of dollars in and you use it towards payroll, you wouldn't be able to deduct those payroll expenses. But they did clarify that and it is still a deduction. So it helped those employers, especially when they were forced to be to be closed during COVID and, and they wanted to continue paying their employees. You know, I still go back to the fact that I can't believe that there's no consideration for people who are working from home. I mean, it, it just seems like To go back to your employer and say, listen, I'm using my phone, uh, my smartphone all day because you're calling me on it. My Internet, I had to increase because this way I have Zoom calls um, and I had to buy a new office chair because I've been sitting on it all day. Yeah. Uh, and, And is there a rule of thumb that we could pass along to people? So is it the employer, are they 
are, are, are you seeing that they're paying 100% of these expenses or 50% or what are, what are, is there any threshold that you're seeing in, in your clients? I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the employers reimburse their employees for these expenses or increase their, their wages, especially if they were able to receive some PPP funds in and it helped to offset some of the cost to them. Um, maybe their costs for their offices, maybe they don't have as much expenses anymore. They were able to you know, stop having internet at the office if they don't have an office for their employees to go to. So maybe the employer's cost went down. So they are covering the expenses for the employees. You know, a lot of them are covering 100% because that way they keep their employees happy and their their employees are not coming out of pocket to be able to continue to work. As we wrap up this podcast, if you had to give like one one massive word of advice to everybody who's listening right now, what would that be? I would just be informed of all the new um, credits available out there. Um, there. There's so many credits available with the CARES Act. There's a lot of things that you can do as an employer to save on taxes. And if the employer can save on taxes, maybe then they can help their employees have an accountable plan to reimburse for some of their expenses, have, um, you know, increase their wages to keep their employees employed. Um, there's a lot of credits available for employers if they have to pay their employees if they had to leave because they were sick, um, if they had COVID, if they had to take care of somebody with COVID. So it's, I would do some research, but contact your CPA, contact a professional who can help see if there's credits available out there because you don't want to leave anything on the table. And filing your taxes, the rule of thumb, always file early. Right. Because this way somebody is not going to file for you and get your refund. Yeah, there is a lot of fraud, um, especially with everything going on with unemployment filings. There has been a lot of fraud um, in 2020 because of that. So if you have all your forms and you can file, I would suggest filing because if someone did file and file on your behalf and fraudulently, it does take some time to get that fixed. Uh, The IRS does have websites and phone lines available to contact them if someone has fraudulently filed on your behalf. But sometimes you are not able to file immediately if you're waiting for forms, investments, 1099s. Sometimes it is out of your control, but the sooner you can file, the better. That way, you, if you are due a refund, if you are due some tax credits for these economic impact payments, you want to be able to receive that money to have it in your pocket. So, Rachel, when you go to parties pre-COVID, are you like the <laughs> life of the party? I mean, people come over and say, Hi, your CPA help me. <laughs> Usually it's, oh, you're a CPA, I have a quick tax question. So everybody's situation is a little bit different. Um, I do hear a lot of times people say, well, my brother's friend told me this, my uh, sister told me that. There's so many different rules out there, and there's so much information. Sometimes someone's situation can be different than another person, so it doesn't mean that it might not apply to you, but ask, ask a professional, ask somebody if, if it maybe does apply to you, because again, you don't want to miss out on any tax credits available that are out there that the IRS put out there with the CARES Act. So, so well, I have one final question. What is the percentage of tax returns that get audited? It's very small. Um, I believe it's less than 2% or 1%, it is very small. I mean, 
the IRS can send out notices. Um, if you file a return and that you miss an investment statement, which is probably the biggest mistake I see in people when they file their own returns. They might miss an investment statement. They might miss a form. They don't report it. The IRS will send out a notice. That is considered a notice, and it's considered an audit. So a lot of times those may be the, the worst things that we see. But, but sometimes you do get audited, and it is purely random. Um, so in that case, when you do hire a professional, to help with your taxes, we do help our our clients and assist them with audits when that does happen. But it's, it's, it is very rare, and I wouldn't say live in fear of an audit, but as long as you substantiate your expenses and keep good records, you, you want to have that information just in case you are audited by lucky chance. <laughs> well, tax queen, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Well, and hopefully the next party I'm able to go to after COVID, I will be known as the tax queen then. (laughs) You got it. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Thanks. IKEA has been accused of evading over $500 million in taxes. Apparently, prosecutors have been after them for so many years, but they're having a really hard time putting their case together. All right. We learned a lot in this podcast. Maybe you're sweating bullets at the thought of filing your own taxes. I hope you feel better now. It's always helpful to get a little guidance, especially when it comes to taxes. And here's a final thought. Let's look at the big picture. Why are taxes so complex? Is there a better way? The short answer is yes, but will that ever come to the United States? It's hard to say. Do you remember what I said earlier about lobbying, that there are some powerful people who want to make tax filing as difficult as possible? Just look at the reporting from ProPublica. Big financial software companies like H&R Block and Intuit, they spend millions of dollars lobbying each year. They're fighting to stop pre-filled returns from becoming an option. You may wonder what that even is. Well, many European countries offer pre-filled returns. Take Norway or Finland, for example. Here's what the taxpaying situation is like for these lucky folks. Imagine this. You get a pre-filled form from the government. You sit down, you look it over. Is it right? Just sign your name and send it on its merry way. If you see a mistake, then you can either fix it or prepare the tax return yourself. Or it could all be over in just a minute or so. Not so here. I was reading an article in The Atlantic, and it sounded like something from a dream. Apparently, some Swedish people take care of their taxes through text messaging. They open up their phone to see a message with their tax information. They respond with one word. Yes, taxes done. End of story. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good. Imagine how much time and money we could all save. Hey, thanks for joining us on this podcast. If you learned just one thing, I want you to make sure that you head over to wherever you get our podcasts and hit that big old subscribe button so you get our podcast delivered to you automatically, even when you're sleeping. And give us a nice five-star review and leave a few kind words, too, because that helps us get higher in the ratings. And when we're higher in the ratings, people look at those best-of charts, and then that's how we get more new listeners. And so really appreciate your support, especially for our small business. It's been a tough year on all of us, especially because of the pandemic. But yes, finally, things are looking better. And just a quick reminder, this is not the Kim Commando Show podcast. That's my national three-hour weekend radio show. If you want to check that out, you can do it for free. 
And you can head over to getkim.com. Once again, that's getkim.com, where you can get the Kim Commando Show podcast and some archives, and also the community. You can use the message boards and a whole bunch more. And there's a free 30-day trial. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. Special thanks for listening, especially to Rachel Cheek for joining us on this podcast. And a huge shout-out to Mike, our producer. He's the best friend a gal can ever have. Mike just makes our podcast sound so amazing. And also to Serena for all of her work behind the scenes. I'm Kim Commando, taxing out. <laughs>